to start right in with Daniel 1, 8 through 12. So if you want to turn there, and then we'll, um, if I could find it again. So Daniel 8, 1, sorry, Daniel 1, 8 to 12. You recall last week, um, we had, it was basically introductory because we were finding out what happened, how Daniel and his friends got all the way to Babylon from, uh, from Jerusalem, and then some of what they faced while there. And it seemed like we don't really know how long they were there before some of the problems began, but it seems like right off the bat, um, Daniel and his friends were faced with some really serious decision-making that they had to put their minds to. So let's pick it up with verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And this word, by the way, is a really important word. Requested. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young man, young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. I mean, that's a legitimate concern, isn't it? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had the power of life and death in his hands. No one questioned that. He could prove it at any point in time. Any point in time. You look at him wrong, and you're gone. So, this eunuch... He, uh, he had, a, he had a, a legitimate complaint, a legitimate issue. So, verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, another important one, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with him in this matter and tested them for ten days. Okay, so there's a lot in this text, and let's see what we, where we go with it. So here is Daniel taken from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. I just found out today that, I guess, um, Armenia, you familiar with this? There's a lot of uh, problems in Armenia, in one particular area. I, I forget how to pronounce it, but the Armenians are leaving en masse. They're just, they're petrified of, these are Christian Armenians, they're petrified of being persecuted to death by the powers that are coming in and, and controlling that. So, I mean, you know, our hearts go out to them. We should certainly be praying for them. But imagine Daniel, the same kind of thing happened to him. He was taken from his homeland, and he was literally taken. 
it, in Armenia, they they believe many of these people believe that if they if they don't get out, they will be killed. Yeah. They will be killed. So uh, because the the groups coming in are from Turkey, which is largely Islamic Muslim. So they're you know it, it's just this one big. They can see the persecution already happening. But Daniel, even though he was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon to resettle, to start living his life there, he had already decided in his heart that he would not eat the king's food. Why? What was the big deal? It was unclean, wasn't it? It was unclean. It, it would force him then to ignore the dietary laws of the Mosaic Code. And he didn't want to do that. So Daniel did not want to offend God by eating the food set before him that he knew was unclean, that was most likely sacrificed to their idols, Marduk and others. So he didn't want to do that. And a matter of fact, as I, I may have mentioned this last week, but Paul mentions this in his letter to the Corinthians when he talks about, you know, if you're at a person's house who's a non-believer and they put food before you, just give thanks for it and eat it. But if they say to you something like, hey, yeah, this was just uh, offered to my God this afternoon in Marduk, then you refuse. Yeah. But Daniel knew a couple of things about this food. Marduk had a huge, huge temple. There's another program you may want to look up. I'll have to text it to you. There's a Christian archaeologist on YouTube. He has a really wonderful channel. And he just went through um, areas of ancient Babylon that's been excavated. And he was able to pinpoint where some of these things were that Daniel actually lived with and experienced during his day. So it's really fascinating. If you can help me remember, I'll text it okay. to everybody. So Daniel didn't want to offend God or the king. So he asked the steward. He asked the steward, which ultimately was the same as asking the chief of the eunuchs, if he could refrain from eating the king's delicacies. And of course, as we noted from the text, this guy's like, uh, well, problem, problem. What happens if you look unhealthy after 10 days? Or, you know, I mean, what happens if I, I, I don't give you this food, I give you something else, you start looking really unhealthy, and the king's going to come after me and ask me why. And so that's when, of course, Daniel offered, well, let's just do it for 10 days then. That's not going to hurt anything, just 10 days. Would, would that be all right? And they didn't have a problem with that. They said, okay, well, and part of the reason was we know that God, what? What did God do? Let them into doing that. Yeah, yeah. He 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 put he allowed the Babylonians to see Daniel and his four friends favorably, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it was part of Daniel's demeanor. Yeah. So notice that God honored Daniel's heartfelt request, and the steward acquiesced to Daniel and tried it for ten days just to see how things would go. What's ten days, right? It's not even two full weeks. So Daniel was likely seen as humble. You get the impression from the book of Daniel that Daniel was not a guy who was demanding. He was not a guy who made sure... See, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I've always been like this. Not that I'm demanding. I guess, well, you, should, you can ask my wife when I'm not around if I'm demanding. But anyway, <laughs> I tend to show on my face what I'm thinking. I've never, I, I'm always 
I've always been a bit jealous of people who can, you know, separate the two. You know, um, I guess that's a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on how you look at it. But generally, if I'm happy, you know it. If I'm upset or concentrating on something else, you're going to know that too, because it'll be right here. I'm going, hmm. It's just, it's just part of me. I don't know if it's my Italian background or I have no idea, but that's just part of me. But Daniel was likely seen as a guy who was humble. And, as we learn, he was also seen as someone who's very intelligent, very thoughtful. He probably didn't blur out things. He probably thought about things before he spoke. Another issue that I have, but I, I tend not to do that too much. Although, as I'm getting older, I think I'm a little bit better at it. But, <laughs> maybe my brain is just slowing down. I don't know. <laughs> Daniel was likely seen as humble, intelligent. He didn't come across as pushy, demanding. He clearly had established a good relationship with Babylonian officials because they were willing to listen to him and to give him an opportunity. And obviously, you know, as you said, David, God moved the overseer's heart. That's number one. Why did God do this? Probably because Daniel was willing, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to just, I don't want to just eat this guy's food. I know it's probably tainted because it's, it's, it's not maybe the healthiest food, but, but more importantly, it's probably been sacrificed to idols. I don't want to participate in that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to offend you, Lord, so what do I do? So God moved the overseer's heart. And Daniel did not rebel against the restrictions placed on him. You know, it's, it's interesting because in thinking about the Daniel overview we, we watched and how it talks about the fact that empires will often eventually become like beasts, treating their people yeah. like slaves. And you see a lot of that going on in the world. You see what's happening, I think, in part in the USA. And you think, what's going to make this better? And then I go online and I hear people talking about, um, you know, rebellion and uh, standing up to this and that and the other thing, going out of their way to um, maybe, what's the best word? Not rebel. Stand up, yeah. you know. And there's a, there's a right way to do it. Uh, there's a right way to do it. I mean, in a, in a sense, Daniel was protesting, wasn't he? Yeah. He was protesting what he had to do, but he did it in such a way that didn't really annoy anybody. But it's interesting because when we get to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to find out that they kind of did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And because of their position and because of their verbiage, they severely annoyed Nebuchadnezzar. But then again, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar was not used to anyone saying to him, yeah. no, we're not going to yeah. do that. Mm -hmm. and, and they probably could have been very, very respectful in doing so, but Nebuchadnezzar still heard, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that. So there's a right way to do things. There's a right way to um, maybe protest and still, I don't want to use the word demand, but make your request known to yeah. people and what you will do without... You know, offending or without annoying. You may do that anyway, but at least if you do, you'll know that, you know, we tried to do it the best way possible, politely as possible. Still didn't work, or it did work. So he simply and politely requested a change on receiving a favorable response about that. Then Daniel was able to offer the alternative. 
Okay, verses 14 through 16. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I think that that's interesting. Now, some people, by the way, use this as proof text that vegetarian diet is the best. Yeah. It's not. It's not, and that's not what this is saying. The, uh, just as an aside here, the Hebrew word translated vegetables literally means things sowed from seed, including fruits, grains, vegetables, and, of course, the grains that could make bread. So he ate fruit, vegetables, bread, and he had water. I'm not sure if there was another liquid to drink aside from water or wine. But he had some pretty good... I mean, if you look at these things, there was a lot of nutrition in all of this. So he, he was able to eat. And he ate to his full. He and just didn't eat the king's meat. Sorry. Yeah, not really. Not eating meat was the only way that right. he could be sure to not be eating Right. Something sacrificed to him. Right, yeah. because none of this stuff would have been sacrificed to any of their gods, just the meat, the yeah. shedding of the blood. The success of the test is seen in the results. I think this is interesting, and it's, I've, I've wondered this. It's like, oh, I wonder if those other guys drank way too much wine, too. Yeah. You know? And, and that can do it to you. I mean, the Bible says a little wine, whatever, but, and I'm not sure what your views are on that. But, um, interestingly enough, and, of course, wine was so much different in those days than it is today. Um, it was not as strong as it is today. However, um, you could have gotten drunk on it. So maybe those other guys, uh, not Daniel and his friends, ate and then drank, drank, and drank, ate some more, drank, ate some more. And so they just were hungover, sickly looking, but not Daniel and his friends. And they probably relied on God's hand as well to make them healthy. So I'm sure God was in there as well. And as I said, it shouldn't be taken as a proof text for a vegetarian diet. If someone wants to be uh, involved in a vegetarian diet, that's totally up to them. But this is not a proof text to show that that's what God wants us to eat. <coughs> I like meat. <laughs> Caldwell Farms, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> the issue is loyalty to God under circumstances yeah. where meats were likely offered to idols. And the men appeared healthier either by food or God or both. You know, and it's funny, just to give you a little bit of background. I used to weigh 255 pounds. I saw pictures on my phone. I looked like Jabba the Hutt. I mean, I was huge. I was huge. And, and it's funny, when you're that big, I'm only 5'7", so when you're that big um, and you're moving to a 48-inch waist... You, yeah, you, you sit there and, and you just think, well, I'm not fat. You just, oh, I just got to exercise more. And you don't realize that, yeah, you're like, used to be a 34, now you're moving to a 48-inch waist. So as soon as you lose all that, um, and I lost, it was about 90 pounds I lost, as soon as you lose all that, you just start feeling better. Yeah. Gee, why is that? Well, because your heart isn't working so hard. Um, I wasn't continually moving toward congestive heart failure, my cholesterol was down. All those good things happened because of what I was doing. And how did I lose all that weight? I didn't go on a diet. I just got rid of a lot of food that I wasn't supposed to eat, and I knew I shouldn't eat, and I still don't eat that food. So, 
Anyway, there's benefit to eating correctly. Daniel 1, 17 through 21. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said, how many days was this? What, what time period are we talking about? When the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in. How long? Three years. Three years. So they went through a training period of three years. So when they came in, they were probably around 17. Now they're about 20. Three years have gone by. There's really been no connection between them and Nebuchadnezzar. They were trained. And they were trained in all of the culture of the and the ancient languages of the Babylonians. Mm -hmm. So then they went before the king. And then the king interviewed them. And among all, this is the king speaking, who was not a stupid man. All of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were chosen to serve before the king. And what does that mean? They were put in high positions in his government. Now, this is fascinating if you stop to think about this. And this is how God has been working with Daniel since the beginning. They were taken from their home. They were brought to a new place they had probably never been to. Yeah. They were now underneath a king that could take their life or do whatever he wanted to because he had full autonomy. And now they are all of a sudden, because of their commitment to God at the beginning and God's overseeing them and gifting them, now all of a sudden they're actually put in positions to serve the king in his government administration. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, we're talking about going before the king directly. Mm. And, I mean, that would be like, I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> but imagine studying for, no, studying for three to five years, and then, and then all of a sudden, here's the president of the university that you've been studying at, and in order for you to graduate and get your PhD, you have to impress the president of the university. That's maybe on a very small scale, that's what that's like. So here they are, the king examined them, and check this out, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. This, by the way, well, we'll get to that. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus, which was the kingdom that we'll learn about that came in and conquered Babylon once Belshazzar made his huge mistake and there was the writing on the wall. But we'll get to that when we get there. So God provided Daniel and his friends with the ability to master the subjects they were taught. I'm not quite sure what that feels like. Um, it, it must have been wonderful, though, because they, they grasped it. They understood it. I was reading an article the other day that went into a great deal of math. Mm. I've never been good at basic math, yes. Higher end math, no. So I had to take this author's word for it, and the way he explained it actually made sense to me. But there's no way I could have tried to figure that all out on my own and get to the same point that he got to. He... He was funny, he goes, well, I have fact-checked this, and I'm going to send a bill to these people, you know, and so say it was just kind of funny the way he was doing it, but he really knew his stuff, and that impresses me. So here they were talking about things 
that they literally had become masters in <coughs> because God had given them the ability to master the subjects. So, um, they were given wisdom. What are we, by the way, as Christians, what are we supposed to pray for? We're supposed to pray to get this, right? Yeah. We're supposed yeah. to pray for wisdom. We're supposed to pray for discernment. <laughs> but what is the prerequisite? And kind of Mark was alluding to it today when he, in his sermon. What's the prerequisite for God granting us greater wisdom, greater discernment, and greater insight into the mysteries of life and what we're supposed to do? What is that prerequisite? Isn't it the same as what Daniel and his friends went through for us? We have to commit ourselves to the Lord. Yeah. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And when we do that, <coughs> he's very liberal in giving us the wisdom, the discernment, and insight we need. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel. And of course, Daniel, in addition to the wisdom and discernment and insight, had the ability to understand and interpret dreams and visions. What's fascinating about this, though, we see his limitation toward the end of the book, which we'll, of course, get to. So visions, just so we're aware, we're all on the same page. Visions are revelations while a person is awake. Okay. You're walking along, as we'll see in Daniel, he's walking along the brook, and he looks over there, and there's four horsemen, and each one is on a different colored horse. <coughs> well, the people he was with didn't see any of that. He saw it. They were all wide awake. So visions are revelations while awake. Dreams are revelations while asleep. This happened repeatedly, especially through the Old Testament. There are a lot of people today who say, I'm a prophet. God showed me this vision. I had this dream. It's like, I generally, generally, I kind of discount that stuff, but to each their own. Because the reason God did this was always around one particular point. God was revealing something that He was going to do as it related to the world and specifically as it related to Israel. So I don't hear much of that happening today. I hear a lot of dreams and visions people had that have no connection to it. Visions were the primary means God used to express his will to the prophets in the Old Testament. That's how it was done. There was no Bible. What we have is the result of a lot of the prophets receiving visions or dreams that were written down for us. We go through the Old Testament and we read many times where God says, write this down in the scroll. Write it down. Seal it up. Save it. So that's how we, part of the reason we got this. But God is done writing his word for us. There's nothing else he would like to add. There's still stuff that still needs to be fulfilled. It's still in front of us. So visions were the primary means. God was positioning Daniel for a specific purpose. And it's just absolutely fascinating when we get to it. 17 through 20 again. At the end of three years, the four men were tested by Nebuchadnezzar himself. That must have been nerve-wracking, though. Really, if yeah. you stop to think about that, gosh, that must have been nerve-wracking. And they passed at the head of their class, as we're told in Samuel as well, 2.30. The young men were probably, as I mentioned, about 20 years old. They were given important positions within Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. 
And what's fascinating is Daniel not only had an important position in Nebuchadnezzar's, but he continued to have a very high position in the next kingdom, which was the Medo-Persian Empire. It's just fascinating the way God was with him. This is another thing that really fascinates me about this book, and I may have mentioned this before. We're all sinners. Every one of us in here is a sinner. We know we're sinners. We know we need Christ. We know we need His forgiveness because we sinned. We broke His law. Well, Daniel is the same way, but there is no hint of any particular sin that he had in Daniel. And that's not because he didn't sin, but it's because he becomes literally a type of Christ for us. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating. You look through the entire book, you will not pick any page, any paragraph, any sentence where we can say, aha, there, Daniel sinned right there. You can't do that. You can't do that. Ten times better. That's probably an idiom, like we would say, we would say it today, ten times better, or heads above the rest. But it was so noticeable to Nebuchadnezzar, he was thoroughly impressed with it, that they stood out that far ahead of the other men. And then, he was so impressed with the advice, we have no idea what he asked them, because it wasn't written down. God did not direct Daniel to write down the conversations he had with him. We learn about this with the three men who were cast in the fiery furnace, but not this. So all we know is that Nebuchadnezzar was seriously impressed with these, with Daniel and the, the other three men. So I can see the seeds, though, of jealousy, can't you? Yeah. Starting in the other wise men, the other counselors, the other astrologers. They'd been with Nebuchadnezzar through thick and thin. They'd been there for a long time. Their fathers may have been with him, blah, blah, blah. And now who are these four upstarts? From their Jews. Yeah. What are they doing? So you can see, even though it's not stated in the text, it comes out later, that there was probably some jealousy going on here. And I'm sure these guys got together, oh, in front of Nebuchadnezzar. They, they did what I'm not able to do. They would go, oh, yes, your highness, wonderful decision, beautiful, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Behind them he goes, all right, we need to figure out a way to get rid of these four guys. I'm sure that that's what happened, the intrigue. So, so because Daniel was given insight into the dreams, he would have had more understanding of future events over these other astrologers and diviners. So Daniel continued, as I said, under various kings, from Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus in 586, for a total of 65 years he worked in government. 65 years. I don't know what the pension plan was, but hey, he's 65 years. So two dates bracket this chapter. Daniel went into captivity in 605 B.C. That's when he was taken from Jerusalem and forced to go to Babylon. His government career ended in 538 B.C. So that's a long time, especially for a man his age. He was probably in his 70s or 80s. And the content of chapter 1, as we wrap this up, focuses on the key to Daniel's remarkable career. And it all started because of his dedication to God and God's precepts and principles. His faithfulness to God. And again, Daniel's commitment, it seems minor. But to God, it was very important. 
And Daniel believed that it was very important. He wasn't willing to compromise. He wasn't willing to compromise. And Daniel was already wise. He was already intelligent. He could already grasp many things, but God increased it for his purposes, God's purposes. And so Daniel and his three friends are models of how to be and remain faithful to God in difficult times. And I think, if I may, I think that in the United States, we're, we're coming to the point where we may be experiencing more difficult times, economically, financially, whatever. And I honestly do believe that as we remain faithful to God in difficult times that we go through, He's there with us. He's provided with us. He's not going to leave us. So, uh, you know, we don't have to run off and try to figure it out ourselves. God's going to bless us. So when the world wants us to go their way, God wants us to remain faithful to Him regardless of the cost to us. We won't get into a discussion about it, but, but... Anybody who pays any attention to what's going on in the world today knows that immorality has risen to a level that has never before appeared in our society. Would you agree with that? I mean, it, it is a little bit unnerving. And yet, that is exactly one of the reasons why we should be even more faithful to God because of that. And I, I truly believe that He will bless and prosper us spiritually, if nothing else, but He will bless us. Any questions?